0: Uh, Today, we're going to start talking about talking to kids about things that are kind of a little beyond this life of the the next round of things. Uh, We'll talk today, strangely enough, about uh, death. That's super fun, which timing-wise, I I couldn't have planned much better because this coming Sunday, um, as part of this Three Places series, uh, the grave is the next topic That we'll talk about. Side note, um, you get to be my ambassadors in case anybody asks. Anytime I put a map on the screen and it says heaven, earth, and grave, someone says, Do you not believe in hell? I do believe in hell. It's just not in this map. It's like if I draw you a map of the United States and you say, Where's Portugal? Well, I believe in Portugal. It's not in the United States, right? So this map (laughs) doesn't have it. It'll actually come up a little bit next week. It's just when you're looking at the Old Testament, You get a picture that just doesn't, isn't that big, and then you get to New Testament. Oddly enough, the person who talks about hell more than anybody else in the Bible, Jesus. It's an almost entirely New Testament doctrine, and it's almost entirely in the teachings of Christ, with a few exceptions. So anyway, all that to say, we will get to, uh, not in my sermon series, but in this class, how do you talk to kids about heaven, hell, stuff like that, we'll do kind of a kid version of what I'm doing in that sermon series um, later today uh, I'm going to talk about death and dying and all sorts of grim things related to that. Uh, start out, just want to say there's a difference between talking about it in the abstract and then more specifically, when somebody dies. Um, first time I did this series, I was working with the Glenpole Church, and this this was going to be the Sunday lesson for my young family's class. Thursday, a mother. In bags, I don't know, went off her meds or something, and shot and killed two of her high school-aged kids, and oh. attempted to kill the third. It happened on Thursday. Now at Glenpool, half my church went to Beggs' schools. Uh, principal, uh, head football coach, assistant football coach, band director, secretary—like everybody in the administration was at my church—and they have this tragic event, and then. My Sunday Bible class was supposed to be how to talk to your kids about death. And it occurred to me as I was preparing for that, that there's a difference between in the abstract and in the aftermath of something awful. Um, When someone dies, whether it's something like that or otherwise, first thing I want to say is that kids learn to grieve from you. Okay? So we think about all the things we're modeling in life. You're the role model for your kids. That includes how you grieve. Um, So even before I get to that, don't hide it. There's a temptation to just grieve in secret and then be super strong in front of your kids. I'm not saying you have to tell them everything you're thinking, but it's not only okay for them to see you grieve, it's actually helpful for them because they're going to lose you someday and they'd like to know how to deal with that. So... Grieving with them is within reason. They're still kids. They're not adults. And you you moderate it. I get that. But don't pretend you're not grieving when you're grieving. Be a role model. Um, Oddly enough, this is the same slide I showed that Sunday. I had just finished a sermon series on Job uh, when that happened. And so I told the church that morning, remember Job. And remember Job's three friends who show up and say, What'd you do wrong? Like, have nothing useful to say and are full of cliches and, well, God's just, you're going to be fine and blah, 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 blah. Right. All this stuff that was of no use to Job whatsoever. So uh, avoid, what's, what's the old joke? Avoid cliches like the plague. <laughs> avoid, <laughs> avoid cliches at all costs. I mean, they're cliches for a reason. And there's definitely a temptation with kids because they work, you know, at that level to say, well, it's Okay. Just don't, treat them like children, but not like idiots, I guess is my point. And, and don't give them unhelpful cliches. Choose presence over rationalizations. They're going, to be, they're going to have questions. Why did this happen? Instead of pretending you're an expert in God's justice and you understand all things, sitting there and holding your kid while they cry and say, sometimes I don't know, is a perfectly legitimate answer. Uh, Christians do grieve. Christians grieve differently, okay? There is a time for joy and a time for sadness. There is a time for grief. I get a little persnickety, actually, at funerals. I'm a little bit of a preacher snob, in case you didn't know. Uh, when I go to a funeral and they're all, that, well, no one should be sad today, this is all celebration. I'm like, what? It's okay if it's a little bit sad. I mean, someone did die. <laughs> we're, we're, it's not the wicked wickedness of the witch. Less, you know, ding dong. Is like, we're, not, we're not thrilled that this person died. It's okay to say, hey, this stinks. Someone we lost is gone. I don't grieve the same way a hopeless person does. And that's 1 Thessalonians 4.13, which I think I have up there, where Paul says, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. He doesn't say don't grieve. We just don't despair. We don't grieve hopelessly. Uh, grieve with your children. Don't pretend and don't confuse grief and despair. Sadness is downright appropriate. Again, it would be inappropriate for you not to be sad when someone you love passes. That's strange. But if you're a Christian, then the way that you grieve changes because there is some kind of hopefulness uh, that comes with it. Don't do that. There we go. Um, Prayer is your number one outlet you want to teach your kids for dealing with grief. You can always tell God how you feel. I always add, watch your tone. Um, God's pretty, he's pretty big. He can handle it. Uh, I don't try to offend him on purpose, but uh, sometimes I say things and I later think, hmm. Might have been a foolish thing to say to God. And I assume he kind of shrugs his shoulders at me and we go on. Uh, so, it's, uh, this is a line I use with my own kids You can tell me anything. Watch your tone. I mean, <laughs> I'm still your dad, but you can tell me anything. And I think it's true with God. You know, tell him anything. Don't make him mad on purpose. But you can say, God, I'm really confused and I'm angry and I don't know what's going on. You can always pray for mercy for the living and the dead. Um, I don't have to figure out anybody's eternal destination, Uh, so far above my pay grade as to not even be reasonable. So I pray for the mercy for the living and the dead, say, God, they're yours. And mercy is always a good prayer and it's all I need when I'm not sure. And I can always have hope. That's the thing about hope. Uh, There's always some. Uh, So I, I think in prayer you can express that and wrestle with that and again, Show your kids how to do it. It would be a great lesson for them. Word of caution, finally, I had not even got to talking to kids about death yet. This is all like the buildup to it. Uh, Word of caution about how Christians talk about grief definitely don't romanticize death. Christians aren't afraid of dying, in a sense, right? We think of it differently. But at the same time, um, one of the early church fathers, I think it was Ignatius, has an epistle where he says, I'm just utterly in love with death. I look forward to my martyrdom. And every time I read that, I'm like, yeah, it's a bit much. I'm, I think death's still the bad guy. Um, when we get there, we get there and it'll be okay. But I'm not rushing towards it headlong. I don't want to romanticize it. When I did this again in 2016, we were seeing a peak in teen and adolescent suicide rates. And um, some of the parents were even telling me we had a very charismatic Bible class teacher. Charismatic, like in the most positive way possible, like infectious personality. And he would talk to these kids about heaven in such a way that it was like like they were there. And then they'd go home and they'd say stuff to their parents like, doesn't matter when we die, we're going to heaven." And the parents were like, oh, "Not in a hurry. Like, don't, don't, don't rush." Like I, the teacher was doing so good a job, it was a little disturbing. We had to say, hey, pump, pump the brakes a little bit. Living's pretty good. We like being alive. You know. We'd like you to stick around. (laughs) So I think with Christians, whether it's despair or romanticizing death, uh, we're not a death-centered culture in in Christianity. It's not how we do it. And then I went and checked, uh, because that was a 2016 chart. Um, It did peak a little bit in about 2019, and I can't find any 2020, 2021 data, thanks COVID. There's no data on anything useful. Uh, But... I have to guess uh, it hasn't drastically gone down while everyone was suffering from mental health for the last three years. So anyway, all that to say, how you talk to your kids about death may have very traumatic impacts. So be aware of that and get help when you feel like you're out of your depth. Um, when someone dies that you, and you know, in the, in, in the actual event of death, not in the hypothetical, you're going to get a why question at some point. They just say it out loud. You're thinking it. Right. Why did someone I love go? Um, there are some possible answers you can give. Um, there is real evil in the world and in us. Bad stuff out there. It's real. Um, suffering is not always evil. Sometimes we learn from it. Some things may require more knowledge than I have. I don't know is not a bad answer. But of all those, like, the, the, the theological category for this is called theodicy, how we talk about the justice of God. i got some great books on that, and I would not give anyone one of those books who had actually lost someone. Like, it's, it's a whole other conversation. In the abstract, it's great to sit and talk about, why does this happen? When my wife was ill, I didn't care about the philosophy of it. I was just mad, right? So... It's, it's very different, whether you're experiencing it or thinking about it in the abstract. So uh, I would say with your kids, keep that in mind. They may not be ready or interested in a philosophy lecture of, let me tell you about the goodness of God. It may just be, you know, I'm not sure sometimes. Want a hug? <laughs> That's a perfectly good answer. And spend more time on the hug. Okay, so finally now, how do we explain death uh, to kids when we're talking about it? Um, we're going to try to translate some of this into child ease. Um, things I would want to say to adults is death is some kind of a physical end. Um, it is inevitable. It is evil. It's an enemy. It's the bad guy. Okay. Um, it's no longer permanent, thanks to Christ and the gospel. And it's not to be feared, though not to be loved either. Okay. That's what I would say to an adult about death. How do I say that to a kid? Well, good luck. Um, physical end. The Bible likes to compare it to sleep, um, like a lot. I'll tell you somebody who preaches a good funeral sermon is uh, Bud Ross. It's and it's the same one. Like you're going to get that one. I can almost do it now from memory. I've heard it enough times just since I've been here. And it's a good funeral sermon, and he talks about the metaphors for death. It's like sleep that you wake from. It's like a shadow. Uh, and there's a third thing. Let's see, I can only do two parts of the three-part sermon. <laughs> Sleep, shadow, another thing. Anyway, that's not a bad metaphor because the Bible uses it a lot. Is it a perfect metaphor? No. But is it useful? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's, it's like going home. It's like going home. That's the third one. You, <laughs> heard you've time. heard that sermon too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep, going home, and shadow. And those are the things that Bud will talk about in every funeral. So... Um, it's like sleep at the end of the day. There's there's a conclusion to every day. There's a conclusion to every life. Okay, inevitable in the sense of it's it's a door everybody has to walk through. Okay, those are the doors to this room. If you want out of this room, you are going through those doors. Well, I don't want to. Okay. <laughs> See you later <laughs> next week. You're going to be in this room. The only way out of this room is through those doors. Is another way? I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Hey, if we're yeah. trying to escape that route, I don't know about you. Yeah. Saying, is this a challenge you're giving us? Right. Yes. Yeah. There's a fire. You guys are just like explaining to children. Yeah. See, this is good practice. Because <laughs> this is exactly what. Lucas and Calvin would say, I could get out a window. Like, <laughs> death has no windows. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a door everyone has to exit, right? It's the bottleneck of the universe. You should have made it space that direction. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, it's an evil. God is a God of life. God is the God of the living, not the dead. That's next week's sermon text. God is the God of the living, not the dead. God is God of life. God is about life. Death is about death. So it's, it's the bad guy. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a minute. No longer permanent. Because of Jesus, death is like a nap that we wake up from. It's not a forever nap. It's not going to sleep forever. It's it's something that does have some... It's why the Bible loves that metaphor. Because you wake up from sleep. And that's one of the things that the Bible likes to say. Not to be feared. Because of Jesus, we don't have to worry too much. I mean, Too much. (laughs) not going to be dumb, I'm not in a hurry to die, but I don't have to live every day paralyzed by fear of mortality uh, because Jesus has changed the way we view death. Okay. So let's take a look at some of those kind of piece at a time. Let's find some metaphors here. Biblical metaphor, John 9, 4, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And then a few chapters later, John 11, 11 through 14, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him. And they say, Well, you're dumb, he's dead. And to which Jesus says, Now, Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. He has to spell it out for them because they're not getting the metaphor. So apparently, it's a really good metaphor. Apparently, even when the master teacher uses a really good metaphor, people misunderstand him, so expect confusion. But it's still a good metaphor. Jesus likes it, I like it. So it's kind of like sleep. Um, Night comes when no man can work. When you're asleep, you're no longer able to act and move like normal. The the daytime, you may flail around, but uh, the normal acting, uh, and that's why, by the way, when you're a kid, you don't like bedtime because it means I can't be playing my games or doing whatever I'm doing. I have to not do things now. And that's kind of scary to you as a kid, even if you don't know why. Right. It can be a lonely time for other people. So yes, Celine and Naomi are out of town and so I'm at the house by myself with my boys and yesterday I wanted my brief Saturday nap. Um, (laughs) Calvin felt like that made him very lonely and so um, first tried to get in bed during my nap which I said no because he can't hold still either while he sleeps. So it's lots of flailing after hit me in the face a few times. I was like, get up, and then other side of the door, and then back through the door, and then locking the door, and then this is, it was like 20 minutes. It sounds like seven hours, but it was like 20 minutes Right, I just <laughs> gave up and said, never mind, forget it. I am not going to nap ever again. <laughs> haven't slept since 2009, <laughs> folks. Um, so it's a lonely time. Okay, You may be sleeping, but I miss you. I want to talk to you. Isn't it the worst when you're taking a really long road trip and the person, you're the driver, so you're all pepped up on coffee, and your passenger's like, I'll stay up and talk to you, <laughs> and they're gone in like 10 <laughs> seconds, right? They're asleep, and you're lonely. Some of you punched each other, yeah? Uh, you're lonely, okay? And death is like that. I, I think you're okay, but I wish you were here with me. Uh, unlike sleep, no human can wake you up, okay? So it's, it's more than sleep. But again, God will wake us up when Jesus returns is what uh, Christians believe. is that There's a trumpet, the world's alarm clock goes off. There's a trumpet and a shout, and, and everybody gets up. Um, another biblical metaphor. Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? O oh, you who lift me up from the gates of death or they drew near to the gates of death. There's a lot of passages in the Old Testament where death is described as having gates. You pass through, and even in non-Christian, non-Hebrew religions, ancient Greece, you you go pass through the deads and Cerberus the dog is guarding it and all. It's a place you, you pass through the gate and then you're there. It's like Greek mythology, Hades. yes. You're at Hades now. Like, all human history has recognized there's a door we pass through and we disagree what's on the other side, but you get over there and it's a kind of a one-way door, right? Um, so, death is kind of like a gate or a door. It's not easy to see the other side. I'm not sure what's over there. And that's that's the spooky part, right? Shakespeare's saying, ah, oh, there's the rub. what dreams may come. But what What will happen on the other side of that gate? I don't know. Unless there was somebody who had been there and come back and told me about it. Wouldn't that be great? So Paul will say in 1 Timothy, Christ brought life and immortality to light. Like he shined a flashlight on the other side of the gate and said, hey, don't worry about it. This is what it looks like. Here's how we're going to do it. But up until then, yeah, it's spooky. and There's the gate. and Everybody goes through it. Nobody comes back. That's a weird door, right? Uh, everybody passes through it. Regardless of what you just said, everyone's going out those doors, and it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty good gate, right? It's secure. Uh, you're not going out through the windows. Uh, you're not getting around easily. It's just, if you're alive, more than likely you're passing through that gate. Okay. So it's, it's part of living in that sense. <laughs> Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I also want to communicate to kids that death is a consequence. So next week's sermon is about the grave, and the point I kind of the three three places right earth, heaven, grave. What God wanted for us was we have a place and He has a place and we have a together place. And so He just walks around the Garden of Eden with us and God spends time with us. Is that how the story ended? No. Humans are like let's invent another place. And so we defy God, and the consequence of that is death and separation, and and things are not as they should be. God did not want us to face the grave. We picked that when we picked sin, and so it's a consequence. And then the ultimate story, next week's sermon, is God is even going to defeat that consequence for us. But for now, it's it's a consequence of things we've done. Side note, this doesn't mean that an individual person dies because they did something bad, necessarily. It's not like, oh, they died, God must have struck them with lightning. That's not what we mean. We just mean, in the general case, why do people die? Death is in the world because we rebelled against God, and there's a consequence of that that comes with it. And even that consequence, God is going to defeat in a future lesson. Uh, And then the last enemy to be destroyed is death, 1 Corinthians 15, 26. Romans 5 talks of death like a tyrant. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who has a, who has a type of the one who was to come. Death reigned, like he's this despot warlord who's ruling over uh, our world and thinks he's in charge. And so death is like a villain or a bad guy. I tried to put a picture there, and I just didn't like any picture of the bad guy death. because It seemed silly to me. So I gave up. And I thought, nah, there's probably not a good picture for that that I want to use. But the idea of there's a good guy in the story and there's a bad guy in the story. Death is definitely the bad guy. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He will be beaten, but he's not on our side. Death is the enemy in the story. He will be defeated by God and will be no more. Which brings us then to that sentiment. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him, Jesus, to be held by it. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Uh, If I'm looking for a quirky metaphor to get my final point across, it's death is like a trap that's been sprung. Okay. So, uh, Bear trap, like the big scary ones, you're right, you have the claws that right? chop your arm off or whatever. That's pretty scary when it's set. Okay? Or or a mouse trap, like pull it back and you set it. It's I'm a little nervous even getting close to it when it's set. When it's sprung, are you concerned about it? It's like oh. I mean, I know what it did, I know what it's capable of, but it's it's done, okay. And that is kind of the story of the gospel. Like uh, there was a knot and God untied it. There was a trap and God sprung it. Jesus went in and then he came back out. So now what? I mean, the whole point, what was the scary thing about death? You went through the door, you didn't come back. Jesus kicked down the door, comes back. He says, look, what's on the other side. I can bring you back out too. It doesn't have to be a one-way trip. And that changes everything. So I, I like that metaphor because it allows me to talk about, is it, is it potentially a big scary deal? Well, yeah. Okay. I don't stick my finger to mouth trap, but once it's sprung, it doesn't have to, as Paul will say, it has no more dominion over me. Like it, I don't have to live in fear of it anymore because somebody popped the trap. Okay. okay. Thoughts or questions on talking to kids about death? Um it look a lot different if if it's someone older that has died, I think, that if it was a shooting, school shooting then Yeah. The the nature in which it comes upon us is very different in how you, you're gonna get to talk about it. Um, my dad asked me several years ago if I would be interested at the time. I don't even think that's the plan anymore, but at the time, he said, would you be interested in doing my funeral when the time comes? And I said, probably depends on how that happens. I mean, if it's long, peaceful end of a long, peaceful life, I'd probably be emotionally okay to do my dad's funeral. If it happens rather unexpectedly, I may not be up for that. You know, And, and the same thing, a you know, school shooting kind of deal. It's, there are other set of questions um, that go with it. <coughs> Circumstances we had August with us to go to, and we went to uh, Lois's brother's funeral. Okay. Uh, and he was, 90, was very curious. Yeah. And uh, and August was very curious. Um, yeah. We had a family gathering at the funeral, and we were sitting in front of the old he had a lot of questions, and uh, yeah. wanted to walk up to the coffin, and it was a good opportunity to. Yeah, I, I'll make this tangential rant that comes out of that, I think you bring up a good point. The modern world has gotten very clinical about death and separated death from ever, you don't, you're never around it. You die in a hospital or a nursing home away from anybody else. You're not with your family. We try not to see, touch, or look at bodies in any way, shape, or form. Right? Like we kind of want it over there. We don't talk about it. Um, and because of that, like we, think, we think it's going to make us feel better. When someone dies, you don't feel any better. Actually, you are now more traumatized (laughs) because you never practiced. Um, The ancient world, they died in the home with you. You talked to them right up to the last minute, and it was awkward and terrible and ugly, and you did it anyway. And then they buried you in the churchyard in the evil world, so you passed by grandma or whatever every day on the way to church. like They're part of the family. They're, They're there all the time. But it just, it stayed with you and you were much more likely to encounter death and get an opportunity than to talk about it as a pretty young person. Um, I'm not sure we're doing our kids a lot of favors by shielding them, I, again, I understand kids are kids, they're not adults, they can't handle adult things, if they were, then they'd be adults. But letting it come as a complete shock that people are mortal when they, you know, turn 21, i eh, not going to do you any favors getting to ease into those conversations along the way will help. We're talking about what's good for kids, and what, what do you think about mm-hmm. <clears throat> either cartoons or even a popular, I don't want to trash Star Wars, but what, what happens after death? Are we, is does the spirit hang around? Because one of the points was it's a physical end, yeah. and then explaining to them that the, it's not a spiritual end. Yeah. end. I have had some conflict personally with kids watching shows that have to do with ghosts and other things cuz especially around Halloween it was very popular recently yeah right? and, yeah and uh, how confusing <coughs> it can be and I wonder if that's a good thing or if that's uh, if if uh, can use that Here's here's what I'll say is I think it is something it comes from a little bit of Christian history you, you, speaking specifically of Halloween, is is the hallowed Eve uh, was the night before All Saints Day. November 1st was All Saints Day, where you remembered the sacred dead. that The people that had passed are still with us in some way. So the night before was a sacred night where we were closer to them. I mean, it's night, so the dead are always closer at night in ancient thinking. So you were closer to them than ever before that night. And then you throw in like a bucket full of paganism, and you get, you know, candy and Halloween, but anyway, the concept was, yes, we do believe the dead are still with us in some way. They don't cease to exist. And so I think the page I would take then out of Christian history is, uh, can it become a big ugly mess? Yes, of course it can. Anytime funny non-Christian traditions get mixed in with our stuff, it can get weird. But it's also okay to take whatever the world has and say, let that be a reminder to us of this thing that is true. The dead are still with us in the sense that they are, they still exist. They didn't poof out of existence. Um, I wish we did. Not, don't care one way or the other about Halloween. I wish we did do All Saints Day where there was a day on the calendar every year where as a church, you sat down and talked about all the people that have come before us and that they are still waiting and someday we will join them and wait. And like the... Book of Common Prayer. When you do the, the communion talk, you're supposed to say, "And this joins us from the living to the dead," like as if to say that they're still they're, They took their communion and they're waiting, and they'll be taking communion until Christ comes back. Like that, they they just moved somewhere else, but they didn't wink out of existence. Is the idea? Hebrews chapter 11 is that like hall of faith, right? All that start with Adam and come forward and name all the great people in history that have gone before. Chapter 12 starts with seeing then that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Like, all those people are still there. They didn't wink out of existence. They're cheering you on. And uh, an idea of a connection between here and there would, I think, with the caveat of you can definitely over-mystify it and make it strange, would be helpful to us who have turned death into such a clinical thing of, you know, dead, gone, get out of my way.